Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. Um, I, I have been thinking a little bit about legacies lately, especially in light of this incredible interview you're about to hear. Um, so someone recently said to me, you know, it's great that you raced as a pro triathlete, but I'm pretty sure you're not really going to be remembered for that. I think you're going to be remembered for starting skirt sports and the work you do with women. And I agree 100% with them. And that's what I want to be remembered for because individual athletic pursuits are selfish in so many ways. And we know this. But using our experiences as an athlete to make positive change in the world is what it's really all about. You know, today's guest, Carolyn Joyce, is a highly decorated swimmer, having competed in three Olympics from 2004 to 2012, Athens, Beijing, and London. She's got four Olympic medals to show for all her years of perseverance and dedication and head down staring at the black line on the bottom of the pool. And you know, that's pretty amazing, right? But as amazing as it is, I have a feeling that when she's older and reminiscing on the impact she's had in the world, it's not her swimming results that people will remember. I think Carol will be known for the work she's doing to help build strong girls and create strong young women through her organization LEAD. It stands for Leadership Empowerment and Athletic Development, and it's not nearly as glorious as winning Olympic medals, but it's so much more meaningful. I mean, when you're in the Olympics, you have a very wide but somewhat shallow impact, right? When you're running an organization that puts on conferences that create experiences for girls to build confidence in their lives, that has a very deep impact. It may impact less people, but it's going to impact them in a much deeper way. And I think she has so much more opportunity to change the world in a positive way through lead than she ever did as a swimmer. But she couldn't get here without her swimming experience, which I'm so excited to share with you in the interview. But before we get rolling, I'm also excited to share a bit about my new sponsor, Health IQ. See, as I grow this podcast, I need support from people and companies that understand my mission to help bring people together through a shared passion to live happier, healthier lives. So Health IQ... Here's what they are. They're a life insurance agency that helps healthy people get better rates on life insurance. And here's what I love about them. They walk the talk. If you look them up, you will find this information. They have a gym in the middle of their offices. They do workouts together during the workday. They have a no sugar policy. They don't serve candy in vending machines. They encourage their employees to prioritize healthy living. 
And that is cool to me. I choose to work with people and brands that share my values. So I'm excited to have them on board. And if you're curious about life insurance, or if you want to see how their rates compare to insurance you already have, go to healthiq.com backslash RTW, that stands for Run This World, to support the show, thank you, and to see if you qualify. You know, they save healthy people 4 to 33% on life insurance for the most part. So if you go over there, if you talk to someone and don't go through the website, be sure to mention RTW Run This World so they know I sent you. Okay, back to the show. I'm sure you'll find many incredible points to take away from this episode. You know, in the end, I wanna make a point myself. I wanna remind you that the things you say and do matter, as well as the things you don't say and don't do. You know, they impact other people's lives. Um, Kara could have quit or changed focus at any time on her swimming journey, but as she says, nobody told me I couldn't, so she kept going forward. So I wanna thank all the people who did not tell her she couldn't, even when you thought maybe in your mind that she was a little bit crazy. So with this awareness in your heart, let's bring Kara onto the show. So do you go by Carolyn or Kara? Um, I just go by Kara. So I my, I have a very long name. Um, my first name is Carolyn. My middle name is Paisley. And my last name is Joyce. So uh, I go by Kara. But if I'm in trouble, you can call me Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to try really hard to get you in trouble on this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, I thought about how the heck... Do you get started because you have so much depth to you and all the things that you're doing in your life? And then I thought, why don't we just start talking about what a badass you are and oh, your swimming background and moving on from there because, man, we had a lot of ground to cover today. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Well, okay. So here's the deal. I was a swimmer growing up. And uh, so I follow the sport somewhat, not as much now, but I knew who you were. I ran into you maybe a couple years ago in Denver and I was like, oh my God, she has to be a swimmer. You're like six feet tall. <laughs> you just have the swimmer. Yeah, I like the swimmer build. Um, and, you know, when I was following your career, it was really fun. First of all, I had to go backwards in time to figure out how you became as good as you were to get to the Olympics <laughs> multiple times, right? So I didn't really know your background, but to see that you went from growing up where in New York? Yep. So take us through a little bit of your background and how and when you discovered swimming. <laughs> okay. So um, I grew up in mostly upstate New York and um, we were living in Saratoga and I was five and I have two older brothers. Um, their names are Sean and Kevin. And um, I came home from school when I was five and I begged my mom to sign me up for tumbling class because all my friends are doing gymnastics. It looks so much fun and I, I wanted to be a part of it. And uh, my mom was like, you know, Kara, I'm really sorry, but both your brothers want to be on the swim team and the family has one car. So that car is going to go to the pool. You can either <laughs> swim or you can watch them swim, but no gymnastics. <laughs> so wait, are were there older brothers, right? Older brothers. I'm the only and, Wow. So did they end up like being hardcore swimmers? They did. Yes. 
And okay, my parents both um, come from swimming families. My mom is one of 11 and 10 of them swam. And my dad's one of seven and I think six of them swam. Um, not They didn't swim like into college or anything like that. But just like their families grew up very familiar with going to practice every day, sitting in the bleachers on the weekends, you know, watching meets and stuff like that. So swimming was like a very natural like sport for us, my brothers and I to do since both of our parents grew up doing it. And, um, but yeah, both my brothers, um, they fast forward a couple years, ended up swimming in college, um, division one at Eastern Michigan, both of them. And, um, they ended their careers as, you know, four year college athletes. They loved it. They never made, um, the Olympics. They didn't make Olympic trials. They didn't make nationals or anything like that. But, um, Every four years, my brothers <laughs> saved up their money and came to the Olympics and, and cheered me on. They were my number one fans. And also, <laughs> so I didn't put two and two together, but, um, you know, I'm the youngest and the women's NCAA championships is in March every year. And that's during my brother's spring break every single year. And so all through college, they would forego like a spring break trip and come to women's NCAAs and cheer for me. And I said that out loud. And somebody recently was like, uh, that's probably like, you know, not a bad gig for a college guy. And I was like, you know what, I didn't even think about that. Like, I thought they were there all for me. But I guess that's like not a bad place to be. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you thought like, oh, they're making a huge they're sacrifice. Oh, so nice. Look at them. Look at what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> totally. But then we know how swimmers can party. So like for them to skip spring break, unless they were finding ways to party okay. while you were focused. No, they were leading the pack for all the parents. Like they always scouted out like the bars to go to. And like to this day, my brothers are friends with like a lot of my friends' dads because they used to party so hard together during NCAA championships. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, yeah, it's <laughs> I'm like not surprised at all. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. So let's educate people a little bit on what it means to be a swimming family. Because people, you know, they don't quite know the sacrifices that parents and families make and what, where your time is spent when you join a year-round swim team and make a commitment. Yeah. Um, so, gosh, it is, it is kind of hard to explain. Um, so we grew up as a swimming family, which would be different than like a football family or a soccer family um, because swimming is actually a year-round sport. So there isn't like a three month or a five month season. And then you jump to another sport to like fill the time. It's literally 12 months a year. Um, and you get like maybe a couple weeks off here or there, <clears throat> um, like two or three times a year. But other than that, you just kind of do your one sport every day and, um, your weekends are filled with swim meets. And if you grew up in a cold climate, like I did, then you're in like a really hot stuffy pool <laughs> all the time. If you grew up in a warm climate, then it's a little bit more enjoyable for the fans and they're sitting outside um, watching meets. But I think a lot of people are familiar with like the summer league side of swimming. A lot of little kids grew up doing summer league and, um, and things like that. And, you know, it just kind of progresses as you get older and the meets become bigger and more serious. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's just like all we ever knew. And when we were at home, we would talk about swimming and we'd always, you know, watch big meets that were going on and, and stay in tune with, with, um, you know, the times and stuff like that. I mean, just the other day, my parents and I were talking about Caleb Dressel going 50.03 in the hundred breast and, and like, you know, it's still a topic of conversation in our house. 
Oh gosh, that's incredible. First of all, um, well, so at what point did you realize, or did people around you realize, holy cow, this this girl's got talent? Um, <laughs> when I was uh, seven, I was watching the Olympics with my mom, and it was the '92 Olympics in Barcelona. <laughs> and um, and I watched, and I'm sure you remember this moment, but um, I watched Summer Sanders win a gold medal in the 200 butterfly. Um, and I was like, Oh my gosh, mom, I don't even know what this Olympics thing is, but I want to do that someday. I want to go to the Olympics. And she was like, yeah, you just, uh, you know, you just try your best every day. You never know. And like, <laughs> I was the worst kid on the team. Like I was so bad. It took me forever just to like finally make my first full 25. Um, I was on the verge of getting kicked off the team cause I couldn't go a whole 25 for like the longest time. <clears throat> and I was really stubborn. So when I was seven and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the Olympics someday. My mom's like, mm-hmm. okay, honey, like that's a nice goal to have. And uh, it just, I don't know, like I, the way I envision it now being able to look back, it's like the Olympics are at the very top of this like really long ladder. And, you know, when you're a little kid, just because you want to go to the Olympics doesn't mean you jump like 30 steps on this ladder every season that you have every meet that you have it's like all you try you're trying to do is just like improve on yourself a little bit more and that's just taking like one step higher on that ladder um and so just like gradually I got a little bit faster and um a little bit better but I was never like a like a hot shot standout kid like I could I could do well when I was at the top of my age group but at the bottom of my age group I did not stand a chance um I was like a skinny little like scrappy kid um, and then when I was 14, like I had a big breakthrough year and I, I made Olympic trials. Oh, like from being av- like pretty good on the team, like <laughs> yeah. <making> trials. Yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> my gosh. So wait, was that in 2000 or oh, yeah. four, oh 2000? Okay. Yep. So were you always a sprinter 50 and hundred free? No. <laughs> and like when I, okay. So when I was 10, um, I made zones in the hundred breaststroke. Um, and I think the only reason I made zones in the hundred breast was because it was like a weak event for our area. <laughs> and not only that, I mean, we had to qualify for zones. It was actually really cool for a little kid to like go through this process. I don't know if this is how they still do it, but we had to be first or second at our district championships and finals to make zones. And, you know, districts was a three-day meet. And on the last day, by the last event, all of my best friends had made zones. And all I had left was the 100 breasts. And I was like, I'll be darned if I'm not going to, like, make this freaking meet. And so somehow I made it. You know, I got second place in the 100 breasts. And um, I, w- I went on to zones. And I got 23rd place, probably out of, like, 25 people. And But I met my first Olympian there. Um, I remember we were at Princeton, New Jersey. So it's you know, my zone meet, I, I finished swimming. It was like a very ho-hum swim, not a best time, you know, f- not even close to top eight, top 16, whatever, you know, 23rd place. And on the PA system, uh, the announcer's like, attention, everybody on the pool deck. Um, we have an Olympian that's going to be signing autographs. Her name's Anita Nall. And, you know, my 10 year old friends and I were like, <gasps> an Olympian. And so we like run over to where she is and we're all like, you know, looking up at her and, and she's looking down at us and she's like, Hey guys, and she's like, does anybody have gum? And I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom has gum and eat it all. 
And so I like <laughs> run across the bulkhead, run into the stands. I'm like, mom, I need an all needs gum. And my mom's like trying to get like a piece of gum out. She's like, here, just give her the whole 32 pack. And so I get this whole pack of gum and I run back across the, the pool deck and I give it to need an all. And she, um, she signs my jacket. Thanks for the gum. I need an all. And she gives it back to me. And I was like, Anita, did you ever make zones? And she was like, yeah, I think I made zones. And I was like 10 and like the hundred breast. And I was like, really? How did you do? And, you know, I figure like, here's an Olympian. She probably goes to zones and wins everything. And she was like, oh my gosh, I got like 23rd place or something like that. I did not do well. And my eyes got so wide and I was like, oh, I'm on my way. Like if I need an all got 23rd place at her first zone meet and I did too, like, boom, like that is, that was like the best thing that I needed to hear at that meet. And for me, like everyone was like, oh, when was the moment that you knew or that you thought you were going to make it? But it was always there. And I think something that I was really fortunate um, to not hear was nobody told me I couldn't, you know, it's nobody told me like, oh, you're not good enough or you don't understand what it takes to get there. Everyone was like, oh, cool. Like I want to go to the Olympics too. Or, you know, like it's great to have dreams and stuff like that. And um, so there was never like an epiphany, but just like those little steps on the ladder along the way. Um, and they just kept going up. That is actually a really valid point. And, um, I mean, part of it is just being open, right? You never closed mm -hmm. yourself off. You never like defined yourself as I'm not good enough. You just were doing what you love to do, right? Absolutely. It's the, it's the consistency, you know, it's having a dream or having a goal. And like, you look at the really successful people in life and whether it's athletes, whether it's, um, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever it is, um, the most successful people are the ones that are just consistent and they just keep showing up. And there are days when you don't think that that goal is, is truly attainable, but you still show up. And there are days when you think that goal is more attainable than ever and you still show up. And, you know, all of the accumulation of that, it, it adds up. And then one day, like you open your eyes and you're like, holy cow, I, I'm here. I did it. Um, but it's, it's also that like <clears throat> that 10,000 hours, you know, of, of work or study or, you know, um, perfecting your craft makes you an expert. And I, I definitely believe that, but, but honestly, you know, like even on the, the tough days, it's, it's just the consistency and the drive to just keep showing up and, and believing in it. Well, and I, I love that. I absolutely agree. I mean, the consistent athletes have longer careers, uh, consistent people in their, in their work have longer careers, you know, consistent people in their marriage have longer relationships. Like consistency is really key. It's not glamorous, but no, it's what makes not. champions. Absolutely. And I was just watching, um, you know, I'm like such an Olympics junkie and I was watching Lindsay Vaughn in her last race last night. And, you know, she, um, she didn't finish. Um, she hit the gate, but she, she did bring home a bronze from this Olympics. And, you think about all of the terrible crashes that this woman has had and like numerous surgeries. And like, I, I just cannot even imagine the pain, the physical pain that her sport has put her through completely different from how my sport, you know, has treated me, but she kept showing up and she kept going to, you know, rehab and getting her physical therapy and getting better. And she's 33 at her last Olympics winning a medal, like the oldest um, Alpine ski medalist, I believe for women. And, and it's because she kept showing up and she just didn't say like, you know, this is it, or this isn't going to happen. She probably thought that sometimes, but you know, it's, it's, 
it was such a, a pure example of that determination and, and just consistency. Oh, so right. You know, you're kind of hitting on a topic I wanted to talk about today. I want to come back to your, cause I do want to take people through your swimming career. I think it's really important and really cool, but you're talking about role models here. You know, you, mm -hmm. you talk about Anita Nall, who I followed as well. I was a hundred breaststroker myself, which is funny. Yeah. Um, and I swam the 88 trials. That was my big one. This was like when you yeah. were born, it was amazing. No, no, no. <laughs> Very much alive. <laughs> but, um, you know, Lindsay Vaughn, there's so many strong women out there. Yeah. And, uh, and here's another one, Carolyn Joyce role model and the things that you're doing that you've taken from swimming and, and other life experiences are shaping the next chapter of your life. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on like role models and what that has to do with what you're building. Yeah. So, um, I guess I'll start with a little over a year ago, I founded the lead sports summit for girls and the lead summit is for teenage girl swimmers to um, connect with with female role models and mentors in our sport. Um, I retired from swimming after my third Olympics in 2012, and um, for years I was teaching lessons and I was doing private lessons and clinics and things like that. And um, teenage girls were like a moth to a flame for me. And I like love connecting with them. I love, you know, sitting down and, and listening to them and, and they'll open up and, and tell me things that maybe they don't even tell their parents, but you know, it really wasn't that long ago that I was that age. And so I feel so comfortable talking to them and it just kind of got to this point where I was like, gosh, like I know I can give them a lot, but I can't give them everything, but I have friends that surely can. And I just was like, what if I could bring, you know, all of these great, wonderful women together and bring all the girls into like, you know, some big like kick-ass event like that. And so I got, you know, two incredible mentors on the Olympic team, Missy Franklin and Elizabeth Beisel, and then um, a, a group of women experts in nutrition and confidence. And, um, and we started the summit and our first event was in Austin um, over Labor Day weekend in 2017. And it was three days. And so when the girls come in, um, we have them, they're in a hotel, um, we're doing keynotes, we're doing panel discussions, we're doing like fun activities and leadership exercises, but they're not with their parents, they're just with us. And we had notebooks and stuff like that for them. And for three days, you know, all of our speakers and, um, and presenters were kind of immersed into this group of 76 girls. And they could listen to, you know, a keynote, like they could listen to Missy talk about her journey and, and perseverance and what that means to her. They could listen to Elizabeth Beisel talk about what leadership means to her. And, you know, Elizabeth Beisel was the team captain in 2016 in Rio. And, and then after that, they can sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you know, or, or just hang back and, and ask like these incredible women questions that are, are personal to them or, you know, that, that nobody else in their lives has the answer to. And it, I had high expectations for what I wanted for this event and it completely surpassed my expectations. And I just feel like every girl that came, um, walked away with something really special. And I've had people ask me like, well, like what was the best part of the summit? Was it nutrition? Was it confidence? Was it leadership? Like, what was it? And, and I think for every person that came, they'll have a different answer to that. 
you know, some people really resonate with the perseverance talk with, with what Missy has gone through. And she's been very open about that. <clears throat> um, some people really resonated with nutrition or, or others have struggled with confidence. So um, all of the women that came just knocked it out of the park for me. And um, being able to provide that kind of mentorship and example for all of these girls was um, a true dream come true for me. Uh, I, I'm like still pinching myself that it that it actually happened, even though I'm like well into planning the next event. Um, I still look back on the last one and it like it makes me tear up. I get emotional about it because it's just so needed. Um, it's it's not just needed for girl athletes. It's, it's needed for for everybody, but especially for young girls. And so if I can provide that avenue and, and open that door um, for the, the one thing that I know, you know, I know swimming and I know teenage girls. And if if I can do something positive in that space, then um, that makes me feel really good. So we'll definitely have a link to the lead. Is it called a conference? It's a, yeah, sports lead sports summit. Summit. That's even better. Um, <laughs> we will have a link to that in the show notes, but tell everybody right now how they can find it. Yeah. So you can go to leadsportsummit.com. Um, you can hit us up on any of the social channels. We're at Lead Sports Summit, and um, or you can go to my social. My social is like spammed with everything. Lead. <laughs> it's like it's what I live and breathe every day. Um, but yeah, you can sign up. We still have spaces. They are filling up fast. Where um, is it this year and when? Yeah, so this year it's actually going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's over Labor Day weekend again, and it starts Friday, August thirty first, and goes until Monday, September third. And, um, we had five women speakers and presenters last time. And, and this time we have nine. So we're in the process of announcing, um, all of our, our female Olympic, um, presenters and mentors and, you know, all of our girls from last year coming back. So we have Elizabeth again, we have Missy again, I'll obviously be there. Um, and then today we just announced Leah Neal, two-time Olympian and medalist. Um, she'll also be joining us. And then we have another, um, another like special surprise guest that you'll have to check back in like two weeks for. Um, we'll be announcing her. Cool. Oh gosh. You'll like her. You're a stroker. <laughs> All right. Oh, I can't wait. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the, let's talk a little bit about this age, right? As you yeah. say, 13 to 18, correct? Yeah. So we all know, and most of the people listening are women. We do have some guys who listen. Hey guys, we love you too. But, um, but a lot of people listening here are women and many of us can think back on those years and they were tough times in a lot of ways, emotionally, friends, relationships, you're like coming into your body, your body's going through its first real puberty changes, um, sexuality, like everything's hitting hormones are crazy. Um, why is this age more important than a different age to, to work with these girls? What about this age really calls to you? I think there's, I mean, I think there's just so much going on at this age. Like it's, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of distraction and it can be really hard to stay focused. Um, you're, you succumb more easily to peer pressure or to just surrounding distractions like, you know, maybe you do really want to excel in your sport or, you know, take, take your sport all the way through high school or even maybe to college or, or whatever it is. But, um, at the age of like 13 or 14 girls drop out of sports at twice the rate that boys do. And a lot of it just comes from social pressures. And so like, if we can bring all these girls together and tell them like, Hey, 
as athletes, you're going to develop incredible communication skills, leadership skills, confidence, you're going to have tools in your toolbox that, you know, a lot of people won't have and and it's going to serve you well as athletes. But it's, you know, however far you take your sport, it's still just such a small part of your life. And it's a stepping stone for everything else. And so like, really like use it as a trampoline and leap out of swimming into college into your profession. But you know, have all of these tools in your toolbox that you keep with you. And so we definitely want to encourage girls to be the best version of, of themselves and, and take the sport however far is good for them. And, and that could be competing on JV or varsity college, or even the Olympics someday. Um, but also just like, while you're doing it, like hone in on these incredible skills. And, you know, you'll have this forever. And, and even just talking about consistency as an athlete, like now as a business owner, it's consistency. And, and so many of the lessons that I learned as an athlete um, are like applicable to everyday life. Oh, you got it. Absolutely. Share some of them. What do you think? <laughs> it's well, I'm like, I'm like giving myself a pep talk as I talk to you. I know. Because- I love it. It's the best. <laughs> I'm, just, yeah. I'm feeling it too. Yeah. Well, I mean, like my business has been open for not even a year. Um, I opened up my doors officially in April of 2017 to start selling tickets for a September event. And, um, you know, my goal, like I, I want to grow lead. I don't want to just hit swimmers. Like I want to bring girls from all sports together and bring in incredible women leaders to inspire these girls and to let them know that they're on the right path and to, to help them, encourage them to keep showing up. But as a business owner, um, I, I like, I need that keep showing up. Like I have to like tell myself that cause it's, it's not that things aren't going well, but I'm sure as you know, like it, it can just be so easy some days to be like, should I just throw in the towel on this? Like, <laughs> like what am I doing? Sounds a lot like <laughs> swim practice on a Sunday morning when all your friends are sleeping. Exactly. Exactly. Um, really hard long course Sunday morning. <laughs> and, um, but the the consistency and the and the just like it's almost the stubbornness like no i'm not going to quit i'm not going to give up because the odds of me succeeding the longer i stay in it drastically increase and um it just that comes from being an athlete for sure you know i didn't realize that uh girls drop out of sports more than double the rate of boys at age 13 and 14 um you know by keeping them in sports are they more likely to be successful or become leaders? You know, what's the stat there? Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> I think um, there's like some crazy stats about women, business women and um, like entrepreneurs and things like that who were athletes. And it's over 90% of women in a C-suite position. So CEO, CFO, CMO, whatever it is. Um, nine, over 90% of women in, in that position were athletes growing up. And it's a really crazy, like high number were even college athletes. And I think that's where like, the leadership and the communication really steps in. And, you know, when you're, when you're in business, like it doesn't always feel like it's a it's a girl's game, it's a girl's playing field. And um, when you're an athlete, and you got to swim and race against boys, and you know, like, and even, you know, to have a, a conversation with your adult male coach, it, it really helps you have confidence and, and understand how to communicate with the opposite sex and, um, and know that, you know, 
just because like you're a woman or you're a girl doesn't mean that you didn't earn your place just as much as the person next to you, regardless of, you know, if it's a guy or a girl. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, so I think what you're doing is exactly very much needed. We need to create these like armies of strong women, girls who become strong women, right? Mm -hmm. So let's go back to when you were 14, because this is the pivotal age, right? When when girls, everything is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, per, for me personally, my body made a big change when I was about 16, 17. I was a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. So when I made Olympic trials, I was 16 and I was still a really skinny, you know, 100 pound girl. Well, the next year I'm 125 pounds and my body had changed so much that it couldn't, it didn't adapt as well to my stroke. And so I never swam quite as fast again. So this is like a tough thing for girls, right? Bodies change. You see some sort of success. How do you, how do you navigate that? So with you, you're 14, you make a huge breakthrough and you make the Olympic trials. In what event did you make the trials? I made it in the 50 free. And just like you, I was a very late bloomer and I was still like this stick skinny little kid (laughs) swimming against like the biggest and strongest women in the sport. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I made the 50 free and Olympic trials is like the most grueling meet. It's, it's just like the most grueling week you can put yourself through of of anything, any experience. Like you want to really beat yourself up, like go to Olympic trials. (laughs) It's like the only, um, you know, competition in our sport where the majority of the people, I think this last trials, we had over 2000 people compete and 50, what is it? 52 people walk away as Olympians. And then like, you know, 1,900, like, you know, like (laughs) walk away devastated. And you see more tears at that meet than any other meet you'll ever go to. Um, But yeah, so I went to trials when I was 14 and uh, the 50 free, you know, just one lap. My, My only event was on the very last day, of course. And so the entire week that I watched this meet, I just, I see the emotion and I see, you know, the what it's taking for people to make it or, or miss it and, and olympic legends are making it and olympic legends are also missing the team you know getting third place you don't make the olympics and it's devastating um and i got myself like like so worked up and and so nervous like you know how like what mistake must have happened for me like i, I just felt like i didn't belong you know there's was, there's was a mistake like i shouldn't be here you know and i finally got up and it was my turn to race and I ended up getting 75th place um, in the 50 free. And I added about a second to my time. and Which is a lot in a 50 for people yeah, listening. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot. And um, I don't know what I was expecting of myself. You know, it was the first time I was really swimming on the national level like that. So, oh gosh, I, I just like anything that could have gone wrong or like any negative thought I could have in my head, I, I let it all in and, and it ended up showing in, in my results. Um, and after my swim, you know, I'm, I'm crying and I'm like, oh God, I should quit. This is so embarrassing. And my coach comes into the locker room and, and she's like, Hey, uh, I want you to come out and meet somebody. And I'm like, now, you know, I'm still crying. And she's like, yes, now. And I walk out to the pool deck and Summer Sanders is standing there and she's like, are you Carolyn Joyce? And I'm like, Olympic gold medalist in the tuner butterfly from 1992, (laughs) like my hero. And she knows my name. (laughs) And um, she sat me down on the bleachers and she put her arm around me and she's like, Kara, 
it's okay that you don't make the Olympics at your first trials. And she's like, I didn't make it at my first trials either. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, when I was 15, I came to trials and honey, I got third in the hundred fly. (laughs) Oh, same thing. 75th, third. (laughs) She was like, you know, you go home and you work hard. And, and, you know, four years later, you're going to come back here. You'll you'll be taller. You'll be stronger. You'll be faster, Kara. But like, this is a good thing. You have to see this as a positive and a huge learning experience. And, you know, of all the, like the things that I did that whole week of Olympic trials, you know, obviously sitting down with Summer Sanders was the most impactful. And it was honestly a dream come true. And um, my dad, (laughs) my dad is in the stands behind us and saw that she was talking to me. And he's like, Kara, turn around, you know, from up in the stands. And he takes out, this is in the year 2000. So he takes out his disposable camera and winds it up. (laughs) that's the picture of summer and I and I made my parents like go to CVS to the one hour photo develop I got my picture back right away like we didn't even make it out of Indianapolis and I had that picture in my hands and um my eyes were like bloodshot my face was red I'd snot coming out of my nose but it was like my favorite picture of all time I put it on my bulletin board and um it was a it was a really um meaningful moment for me to sit down with my hero, somebody that I looked up to, somebody that, you know, I wanted to emulate and be able to relate to her. Because I think when you have these big dreams and these big goals and you see people that accomplish them, you just assume that nothing ever goes wrong for them. You know, you assume that it's like clear sailing. And then when, as soon as you see a setback, you're like, oh, I'm off course. Or like, there's no way it's going to happen for me. And then you finally hear, you know, what people go through to get there. And you're like, oh, okay, like, this is normal. This is life. This is humanity. And and this is okay. I'm still on track. And every, you know, all 52 people that make the Olympic team, there's no one road. It, everyone has a different path. And it's really windy and twisty and turny for some people. And for others, you know, it's it's not as much so, but everyone's path is different. And there's there's no right or wrong way to go. And that is can be really comforting when you're ready to hear it. It's hard when you're in the turmoil, right? Or when you're when you're really like trying to tread water after a big failure. Yeah. You know, let's talk about failure for a minute because we all know that nobody hits the top without having had failures before, during and after. Mm-hmm. Um you're one of the most decorated swimmers ever. You held national high school records. You know, you are one of the most decorated NC2A champion swimmers and you did three freaking Olympics. But, and that sounds so rosy, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> sounds Isn't rosy. that fun to hear that? Let's just keep telling you that because then oh, you're, awesome. you know, yeah. yeah, we could all, we could all stand a little like ego boost from time to time. You can just like play this recording you know, and just that little snippet. I wanted to throw on the towel. <laughs> totally. So let's, you know, maybe share an example or two of some failures that had were very formative in your life. Absolutely. So, oh man, where to begin on the failure list? Well, first of all, you know, I think, I think something that um, you said really hit the nail on the head that sitting down and talking to somebody or even even hearing like the right podcast at the right time or the right sermon at the right time timing's everything with this stuff and the way it can affect you i think i think everyone's kind of sat through or read a passage in a book or heard something on the radio that you're like whoa that really 
like hits me like right in the soft spot right now. I really needed to hear that right now. And so for me, you know, starting when I was 10, getting 23rd place at zones and being like, ugh, like no Olympian ever gets 23rd at zones. Like, how am I ever going to make it? And then like right then and there, my, you know, this Olympic champion being like, oh yeah, that was me. And I'm like, whoa. And then like, luckily when I'm 14 and I get next to dead last at Olympic trials, another, you know, mentor and hero sitting me down and being like, hey, that was me too. And um, there's like so many times where, pivotal and, and, um, inspirational people have walked into my life, but I would say, um, geez, one of the biggest, one of the biggest setbacks I can start, I'll, I'll start with, um, 2008. So I know it's, it's pretty far into my career, but in 2008, I was 22 years old and, um, I was training to make my second Olympics, which was in Beijing. And I was still at the university of Georgia. I went to college at Georgia I stayed for a couple years to continue training there. It's an incredible swim program. And um, starting in January of 2008, I was swimming lights out. I was so determined. I wanted to win a medal in the 50 free. I finished fifth at the 2004 Olympics in the 1500 free. For 2008, I was like, I am getting my butt on that podium, whatever it takes. And I trained harder. I ate better. I lifted heavier than I have ever done in my life and it was paying off and all season you know I'm going to these in-season meets completely exhausted swimming best times and in February of 2008 um, I almost broke the American record in the 50 free I think I missed it by 0.06 um, at a at a grand prix meet totally unrested out of the blue I went 24.59 and the American record I think was 24.53 and um, it was it was all the confidence that I needed. Um, but as the season went on and I trained harder and harder, I actually dug myself into a deeper hole of exhaustion. And so by the time Olympic trials came around in June, end of June, beginning of July, um, I was easily favored to make the 50 and the hundred free. And a lot of people were talking about the possibility of me meddling in both. Well, first event, um, at trials that I swam was the 200 free. And to make the Olympics in the 200 free, you actually have to get top six because they take um, four for the relay and then two alternates that swim in preloads. Excuse me. And so I swim the 200 free um, and I get seventh. <laughs> so I like just miss it. And then the next event that I swim is the 100 free. And same thing as the 200 free. All you have to do is get top six in finals and you make the Olympics because of the relays. And so I swim finals and I get seventh again. Oh, and um, I'm exhausted and I'm devastated and I'm, I'm confused. I don't understand. Like the times I was going in finals at Olympic trials are slower than when I was going in practice, you know, in a, on a good like stand up race day in practice. And then my last event is the 50 free and in the 50 free, it's only top two. And I swim my race and I get fifth. And so um, I was devastated and it just didn't add up to me because I had worked so hard and I felt like I'd done everything right. And for some reason, and I think every swimmer that's been in the sport long enough, even every athlete that's really gone for something and, and you, you put your body through turmoil and, and stress and, you know, it, it, you beat it up because you expect something great and then your body just doesn't perform. It doesn't give it to you. It's so devastating. It's so confusing. And, um, I got on the plane to fly home from Olympic trials to go back to Georgia and figure out what to do with the rest of my summer. Cause I was not going to go to China. And on my way back from Omaha, um, I had a layover in Chicago <clears throat> and I was sitting next to my teammate at the time, Mary Desenza, 
Mary didn't make it either. We were both like kind of licking our wounds on this flight. And I look at my phone as soon as we land in Chicago and I had a message from my coach and um, I lift up the the phone to my ear and I listen to it. And my coach's name is Jack Bowerly. And he's got this like really deep manly voice. He's from Philly. He's, he's such a great guy. And the message, I wish I still had it to this day, but it was like, okay, it's Jack. Get your ass back on that plane. You just made the Olympic team. And like, I'm sitting on an airplane and I find out that I made the Olympic team because the person that won the hundred freestyle at Olympic trials scratched, which like this never so, happened. So wait, and I got she, bumped she on scratched. The team. Can you explain to everybody what that means? Yes. So um, it was actually Dara Torres, and um, she was 41 at the time. So um, she, this was like one of her like second or third comeback or something like that, and. Um, she made the Olympics in the 50 free and the hundred free and then two relays. And she figured at her age, um, she needed to kind of pick and choose which events she swam because of, you know, the recovery process. And when you swim an individual event at the Olympics, you have to race it three times, which is a lot. And so, um, she and her coaches decided that she wanted to focus on the two relays and the 50 free and the hundred free was going to be out for her. So, um, I got wow. my- scratched onto the Olympic team. Did you personally thank her? <laughs> I did. Oh yeah. Well, the story gets crazier from here. Um, so lightning struck me once right there because like when you make an event at the Olympics, like to the Olympics, you don't scratch it. Like that never happens. Mm, so like never. lightning struck me. And I was like, okay, somebody's looking out for me right now. Like, I can't believe this just happened, but um, like, darn it, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. And So I turned around in Chicago, like, you know, got my luggage sent to California and met up with the team at training camp. And I I walked in on the first day and everybody gave me a round of applause and everybody welcomed me. And, um, which was a good feeling. (laughs) And my coach Jack pulled me in and he was like, Kay, I don't care how you got here, but you earned your spot just like everyone else. You're on this team just like everyone else. And he's like, you know, you have the opportunity to make the most of this. And, and he was basically like, I want to see you lead every single day in practice. And nothing made me more excited than to like, like go to practice and like lead lanes. I, I loved working hard. Like I'm a sprinter that never saw the light of like a sprint group in my life. Like I always trained middle distance. I was in the distance lane from time to time, but, um, Olympic training camp is heaven for me. Like going head to head with people like Katie Hoff or, you know, Amanda Weir or Julia, like whoever I can race at any time, like that is bliss for me. And I, I loved Olympic training camp and, um, little by little throughout the the five weeks of training camp between Olympic trials and the Olympics, I started to get better and better every day. And I was kind of back to my old self. Um, you know, I just, I had trained so hard to get to trials that my body didn't recover. And so throughout this training camp, uh, my body is starting to recover and, and I'm posting really good times in practice. I'm, I'm swimming faster in practice literally than I swim in finals <laughs> at Olympic trials. Oh, that's so crazy. You know, yeah, in swimming, the your taper is this brutal formula because if you miss it by a day, you're way off. Yeah. It's a, it's a formula with a little bit of magic sprinkled on top yeah. and some belief and (laughs) luck and hopefully you're not sick. And I mean, there's just anything that can happen. And, uh, but when it hits, it's truly magical. It is. It is. Um, So we're getting ready to leave for China 
we were leaving California for our training camp and going to China. The Olympics were starting in about, I don't know, 10 or 12 days. And um, we got noticed that somebody on the team had tested positive from their sample at Olympic trials. Um, and so it was too late to add anybody to the roster. The roster was already due to like the Olympic committee. So whoever was on the team at the time was on the team. And, and if somebody tested positive, they had to, they were removed from the team but they had to fill those events and um, the, the protocol for filling an event once the Olympic roster is already due is whoever's on the team already that has the fastest time from January 1st of that year gets to swim the event. Whoa. So you got to swim some events. I did. So <laughs> I bumped into the 50 free because I swam so well in February of that year. Um, I got scratched into the, like I got basically bumped into the, you know, the 50 free um, at the Olympics, which also never happened. So boom, lightning strikes twice. And all of a sudden things start looking up. And um, when we got to the Olympics, day one was the 400 free relay. And I let it off in prelims at the best time. And I swam so well that it got me a spot on the medley relay on the last day. Boom, lightning struck me three times. And I got to swim three events at the Beijing Olympics and I brought home two medals. And that whole experience was a huge, a huge lesson for me. You know, just about that consistency, about believing in yourself, about continuing to believe in yourself, even when, you know, hey, I did everything right. I, I did everything I was supposed to do and I, I still didn't see the results. And a lot of times you don't see the results right away. You know, even, even if you you think you're, you're going to hit your taper, if you don't hit your taper, if you don't have that that special moment, it doesn't mean that it's it's lost forever. It just hasn't shown its face yet. Yeah. And so um, that was that was a very emotional, but um, I just look back on that experience and I'm so grateful. Um, a lot of people looked out for me and a lot of people helped me through that, but um, it was it was pretty incredible. I'm just seeing so many themes of, you know, positivity through hardship here. And yeah, you talk about like you're disappointed and you're licking your wounds and things hadn't gone the way you wanted them to, but there's something about you that was still also open and allowing the positive to come through. Because you 100%, you have to open yourself to let it in. Like it's like, it's kind of like when you like turn your Wi Fi on and you're like, okay, like, am I going to pick up a signal? Is there any Wi Fi? Like, you have to be open to like letting it in. And if you, if you're closed off, then you're closing yourself off to opportunity. You're closing yourself off to, you know, influential people. But if you keep your mind and your heart open at these vulnerable times, then you, you open up to good things coming in. Oh, and that is the hardest thing for people to do when they're hurting. And I think mm -hmm. that's a really important lesson. We're definitely going to put that quote in the show notes. We'll have to make a little meme for you. When you keep <laughs> your heart and mind open during the times that it's hardest to do so. Man, um, I have a couple other themes I kind of want to hit on. We're, we're running long today. It's so awesome. But, you know, it's funny because uh, growing up as a swimmer, we always looked at the sprinters as lazy. <laughs> they always came in and did like some long, boring warm-up where they was really easy. They swam super slow. And then they would do like a couple of fast 50s and then they were done. 
and we were in there forever and like cranking it out. And, um, so what's up with that? Are you, how did you buck that trend? What is it about your background or whatever that pinned you as one of the hardest working swimmers ever? And if you Google Carolyn Joyce, you're going to see that about you literally says she's known as one of the hardest working and most respected swimmers in history. So did your parents instill that in you? Were you born with it? How'd you get that? Um, <laughs> wow. I'm blushing. That's so, that's like the, the nicest compliment. Um, I, I'm just like so effing competitive. I'm so fierce and competitive. And I think it's cause I have two older brothers. Um, my oldest brother was a distance swimmer. My middle brother, breaststroker, sprinter, but they were always bigger and stronger than me. And, um, they, they just pushed me. I, my oldest brother, Sean, I think he was always really keen to my talent and my skill. And Sean was like my biggest, like he knew all my competitors split times. And like, he followed my swimming so close. He's a huge swim fan. And, um, but he also remembers everything he reads. He's really smart. And, um, so like growing up, I think Sean always knew like really how to push my buttons and how to like motivate me and, and keep me going. Um, but it made me so competitive and in practice, you know, I didn't want to show up and be like, Ooh, I want to do the 5,000 yard workout. I'd be like, Oh, there's a 7,000 yard option. Like people are going to do that. I, I need to do that. I need to know that when I stand up on the blocks at the end of the season and, and I look left and I look right, I can say I worked harder than anybody else to get to this moment. And that gave me the confidence that I needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> in high school, I swam with the university of Michigan, men's team um, with coach John Urbanchek. And it was me, like a 15-year-old, 16-year-old high school girl, and then the entire Michigan men's college team. And they were known for being like one of the best distance programs. I mean, Tom Malchow, who's a gold medalist in the 200 Butterfly, he was my training partner for years. And um, I just didn't want to back down. You know, I, I wanted to have that satisfaction of like, I gave it everything today. And as a sprinter, I, I didn't really relate to the sprinters that didn't like practice. They only like to race because I saw practice every day as an opportunity to race. And, um, I, I loved throwing down in practice. If it was a distance set, like the more, the merrier, if it was a pull set, like I have, you know, I love like all of that stuff. It just, it, it fed me. It gave me, it gave me life. And, um, that's like, yeah. I don't know if I, that's right. I mean, I'm like, what if I did train sprint? Would I have been better? <laughs> you know, you were like the unintentional sprinter. Like it just happened that you were a sprinter, but you had to get there a different way. There's so many cool things that I'm hearing. Like a word that I would use to describe you is confident. And you mentioned confidence came from having put the hard work in. I think we all at times suffer from a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. Would you say that it's about hard work or what, what other things help people gain that important word that helps us walk more tall and, you yeah. know, live more openly? Uh, it's, it is confidence, but I think we all get our confidence from different places because, you know, there were girls that I used to race in meets and they would, they would kick my butt and show up to practice any day. And like, they didn't stand a chance next to me. And I'd be like, how the heck does this girl have enough confidence to beat me in a meet when, you know, she can't come close to me in practice, but her confidence came from a different place. It, she was fed her confidence from a different way and, and it was different from me and, and that's fine. And so when I'm like, no, I, I was the hardest sprint, sprinter. I was the hardest worker in the pool that gave me confidence, but 
other people, like it, it just, it depends. Like it depends where your confidence comes from, but ultimately it just has to come from self-belief. Um, it, it can't come from like, oh, I'm confident because other people believe in me or my coach believes in me or my parents. But like it doesn't matter who believes in you because if you don't believe in yourself, then none of that other stuff matters. You mean you can't just get like the brand new cool swimsuit and suddenly like you're confident? Maybe, maybe when you're little. <laughs> I have this like really cheesy like um, visual of this bird just like sitting on a on a wire and the wind is like howling and the wires like bobbing up and down and the bird has his has his wings, you know, really like tight next to his body. And it's like, hey, hey, little bird, like you can fly right now. Like you got all this wind, you have everything in your favor and you can fly. All you have to do is open up your wings. But if you don't open them up, you're not going to fly. And that's how I feel like self-belief is. It's like you can have all of this wind under you. You can have your parents and your teammates and your siblings and your neighbors and your coaches and everyone can be blowing that wind at you. But if you don't open up your wings, if you don't let yourself succeed and believe that you can do it, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I think that's a really great visual. So do you think, are you removed enough from all those hours and all those days in the pool to wonder how the hell did I do this for so long? <laughs> um, that's funny that you mentioned that. I think every year it gets to be like a little bit more like, oh, that's that's actually like cool that I did that. But I'm sure you can relate. Like when you're in it, year after year, you're not like, wow, look at how good I am. Look at how far I've come. You're still like, wait, no, I got to be better. Like nothing's good enough. Nothing's like, it's never settled. It's never fine. Like I, how do I find a way to get better? And you don't really rest on your laurels until you're, you're removed. Um, so a little by little, like every year I'm like, Oh, cool. Like I did do that. That is kind of neat. <laughs> do you, do you ever feel like, God, I wish I was still doing it. Or are you at the point where you're like, I don't know how I got up at four 30 in the morning, five days a week for, you know, 15 years. Um, no, I mean, I don't, let me think about that. I don't, uh, I had a really interesting, like move into retirement. Like I, I don't think that it's like, crazy or I don't like, it's hard to explain. I don't regret or, or disdain or have any negative associations with swimming. Like even the waking up at four in the morning, even jumping into a freezing cold pool. Like I loved swimming. I loved every single thing about swimming up until the day I decided I didn't want to swim anymore. Um, and then that was it. Like I, I don't do masters now. Like I don't swim for fitness. I do other things for fitness. I, all my work everything I do, like other than, you know, exercise and stuff is still in swimming. But it's just not, you know, part of my daily life. But I, I truly loved the sport. And I loved everything up until the day where I was like, I think I think I got everything out of it. I think I, I took the the rag that had my talent and I wrung it out until the very last drop was was mm -hmm. let go. And, and that was it. How was that transition in how you define yourself from swimmer <laughs> to whatever is next. I'm still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's hard. And I, I think um, with social media, you like, you know, I was part of a movie with Missy. It's called Touch the Wall. Yep. And um, it it did so well in the sport and it resonated um, a lot with with young female swimmers. And um, I'm, I'm known as a swimmer 
and but I'm not a swimmer anymore. And so um, how I identify myself, I can say like, oh, yeah, I, I was a professional athlete. I was I'm a, I am a former swimmer. Um, but now, you know, I'm a I'm a business owner and I have hobbies and I, I do other things. Um, but it's also like, it's okay to be known as a swimmer. Like I, I don't mind that because I, I do love the sport and I, I do give back to it a lot and I stay involved in it and things like that. But, um, the transition from athlete to no longer athlete and it's, we call it retirement. People always laugh. They're like, you retired at 26. I'm like, yeah, there's like, there's no other word. You know, you, you, you retire from being an athlete and I don't think it matters what you retire from, whether you're 75 and you retire from, you know, 40 years of the same job, whether you're 26 and you retire from being a professional athlete, um, or whatever it is, it, it kind of it like slams the brakes on in your life. And you have this feeling of like, Oh wait, like, what do I do now? I'm, I'm no longer accountable to this thing that I've been accountable to every single day. And I'm no longer, you know, pouring my, my heart and soul and passion into this thing that I've been doing every single day. And you have to kind of rediscover um, what you're passionate about. And for me, um, it was kind of that, like, just keep like throwing things against the wall, see what sticks. And after I retired, I said yes to every single thing that came my way. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what was next. And I was like, well, if I keep saying yes, like I'm going to find a passion again, I'm going to find something that I know that I like. And um, you know, couple years later, we'll say like four years later, um, I found lead. And, and that's, that's really what drives my passion. It, it gets me up every day. It, I'm traveling, I'm, I'm meeting, you know, incredible people and business owners and, and also incredible families with, with teenage girls. And, um, you know, I, I think I found my what's next. I think you did too. Um, I think also that big lesson to people that when they're in times of inner turmoil, that saying yes is an amazing tool and gift that you have. And it's so easy to say no and curl up into a ball mm -hmm. and try to protect yourself because how on earth are you going to compete against yourself with the success you had in a previous career? I mean, these transitions for anybody who's been very successful in one area of life are, is really hard because they wonder if they'll ever have that same kind of happiness that, you know, walking on the world feeling. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you said yes, and, and presumably to a bunch of things that are, might be even hilarious now, but it led you to lead. And I think you're, I think lead sounds like it's your calling because you don't, you know, you know, when something is the next big thing in your life, or it's going to feel like you had your first baby, right? Lead is maybe yeah. for you because you're consumed by it. You used to be consumed by swimming. Mm -hmm. That was your life. And now you're consumed by the idea that you're going to help make change in so many girls' lives. And I just think that I can hear it in your voice. Um, and it's so needed. I'm just really excited about what you have going on. Thank you. Yeah, it, it feels, um, it feels right. And I, I think it's so important to, to trust your gut with things. Um, like, you know, when you're, when you're on a direction and you're on a path that's, that's feeding your soul and you know, when you're just kind of going through the motions and, um, I've done both. And for me, like this really feels right. Ah. Uh. So important to trust your gut, everybody. Well, here's the deal. We we got to wrap it up sometime because you got to go out there and we got to get a bunch more people signed up for your uh, Atlanta event on Labor Day weekend. 
which we're definitely going to be promoting here for you. Um, but before we go, I'm going to ask you a question I ask everybody who comes on the show, which is, you know, the name of the podcast is Run This World. And it's just about finding incredible people who can help spread a little light so that the rest of us don't feel so alone out here in the world. So if you could give our listeners one final nugget, one little piece of advice to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Um, that's a tough one. One little nugget to help them run their world. Um, I would say, I mean, I, I kind of always fall back on like the self-belief thing, but I think when you're, and I can like, I can relate to this on so many levels when you're kind of feeling like you're in a rut, when you don't feel like what you're doing is making a difference or what you're doing is, is making progress on whatever it is that you want to make progress with. Um, just doing the next right thing can make all the difference in the world. And like you said, like that feeling like I just want to curl up into a ball and do nothing, but like, Hey, what's, what's the next right thing you can do? Is it like, I got to clean my room. Okay. Like, let me put a load of laundry in or let me make my, but what's the next right thing I can do with my business. Okay. Let me, let me send out like some really important emails today and then just hang it up. Or what's my fitness goal. What's the next right thing I can do. I'm going to go for a walk today. Um, but just even tiny steps forward are steps forward and it's, and it's one step higher on that ladder. And so whatever place you're in, whatever position you're in, if you can just make that next step forward, even if it's a baby step, it's progress and it, it matters and it makes a difference. I love it. It's so awesome. You know what? I'm going to add one last thing here at the end because you just mentioned something I forgot to ask. <laughs> What does a former pro swimmer, three-time Olympian do for fitness now that you're not big-time swimming anymore? I have tried literally everything. Um, and that's like, it's actually been fun to dabble. Um, I've tried CrossFit and that was like three months until I got hurt. Um, I, I'm, it's like, I'm six feet tall. I'm too tall for CrossFit. Um, but I've done, I do yoga. I spin. Um, I actually walk a lot. Um, I actually like, so people are like, what do you do for fitness? And like my number one thing, I, I walk. Um, but for me, I realized like when I stopped swimming, I, I felt like uneasy all the time. And then I started walking. I would walk like three, four, even five miles in a day. And when you swim and anybody out there that's a swimmer can relate to this, your head is underwater and you have so much alone time to just like think or escape or whatever. And it's, it's that feeling of like mindless um, motion. Like when you're in the shower, you can do really good thinking or on a drive where you know where you're going, like you get really good thinking. And I was just kind of missing like my, my daily, like alone time of just like me and like my thoughts and um, like, I don't know, I, I missed like that. So I actually I walk a lot. And it like I get my best thinking and I, I feel more at home. Like I, I have that part of my day back. Oh, I love it. And you know, so many people listening can totally relate. There's a lot of runners and walkers and, and athletes who are definitely not pro level. You know, they may walk their marathons, but they are consumed by uh, living a healthy lifestyle and, and walking to clear your head and create that positive headspace is like the most legit thing. We cannot discount it. It's amazing. So yeah. thanks like for sharing that. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, cool. It was what a blast to talk to you today. And everybody listening, don't forget about lead. We are going to get the word out. I cannot wait. How many spots do you have left for September? Uh, uh, we, we definitely have space right now. I would say we're close to half full. Um, and then last year we filled up, um, by beginning of June and then we had a wait list that we had to just stop taking names for. So it's definitely going to sell out, um, especially as we continue to release our speakers and, and things like that. We're going to build momentum in the next couple months, but, um, I would say try to hit it up before like May or June and it'll probably sell out by, by May. All right. Well, we're going to hit it up next week. So there, <laughs> boom, we're going to sell you out. All these kids need this. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to let you go so you can keep making change in other people's lives and uh, maybe go for a walk. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Thank you so much. You got it. All right. I'm back. Um, how fantastic is Carolyn Joyce? I mean, you might think there's some serious ego attached to a woman who's accomplished so much in a short life, but not Kara. Um, I'm sure you could feel this throughout the conversation. Yes, she takes pride and ownership in her accomplishments, which I think is awesome, but she doesn't gloat. She doesn't brag. She's somehow unaffected by the syndrome that many former pros experience when they're done competing. This is also interesting. Um, they get resentful of the sport, which brought them so much while they float around trying to figure out the next thing to do. But Kara said she still loves everything about swimming, everything that's done for her and still does for her. She just knew it was time to move on. In my opinion, that's a gift, knowing when it's time. I wanna end with something I think is so cool and very fitting for this podcast. Kara is a former Olympic swimmer with freaking Olympic medals. She's a total and complete badass athlete, no matter how you slice it. Yet when asked what she does now for fitness, she said, I walk. Walking helps give her that headspace that she had for so many years underwater as a swimmer. I respect that about her and I encourage all of you, me included, to just get out there and walk when our heads go out of control. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. It can be that simple. So before I sign off, uh, another quick reminder to you healthy, active, robust listeners to support the show by heading over to healthiq.com backslash RTW to see if you qualify for cheaper rates on life insurance. Uh, be sure to mention RTW so they know I sent you. Remember, I align only with people and companies who share my values. I wouldn't mention these guys if I didn't believe in them. All right, everyone. On that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.